0: Let me kind of, let me give you some background of what we're going to do. We're launching into a new series next week, but we're going to get it ready tonight. And let me tell you a little story about what happened when we first started Lakeside Church. When we first began, we were meeting in the Folsom Eagles Hall and, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going to be helpful to people and what's going to encourage them to figure out who Jesus is and kind of lean into him and things like that. And we didn't have a big children's program. We had the main room at the Eagles Hall and we had a kitchen. The kitchen was you know, full of spaghetti sauce on the floor. It was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty miserable. And that's where our children's ministry met. Yeah. I mean, so we went in and mopped it every week before we started and stuff, but uh, we didn't have a big children's program. So we said, let's, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I got a shoe box and we wrapped it up with some kind of paper. And then we, we had the kids come up to the front and every week the kids would come up and I would give some child the box. And then they'd take it home, their instructions were, take it home, put some treasure of yours in the box, bring it back next weekend, and we're going to sit down and talk about it. So they would come up, Kim would bring the box, we'd sit down in the front, and we'd just talk about what was in the box. we called call it the mystery box, because it was a mystery to me every week when it came, what was going to be inside that thing. And it was fascinating, because in the, you know, I, I would spend hours and hours getting a message ready, getting the sermon ready for the weekend, and I'd spend no time at all on the mystery box, The kid would show up, we'd open the box and look inside and like, okay, pastor, you got to, you know, come up with something to say like right now because everybody's watching. And the beautiful thing was, everybody's wondering what I'm going to say. No pressure. But the other thing was, everybody's thinking about what they would say if they had to pull something out of the box like that. It was fascinating in terms of just being an engaging way of learning to follow Jesus. So I thought, what if, we, what if we kicked off this series we're going to do? We're going to do a series on the life and teachings of Jesus and how he talked about specifically the kingdom of heaven. Like the kingdom of heaven, every time Jesus talked about it, it it's like it surprised people. They never figured out what the kingdom of heaven was about. And we, we've got all these ideas like, oh, I know what heaven's about. But when you study the life of Jesus, you find out when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, it was something different than what most of us think about. So we're going to do a series on Jesus, and I thought, you know, what if we did something like the mystery box the first weekend, and I just let you ask questions? That's how I start my study for a, for, to prepare for a sermon. I just start with questions. Monday morning rolls along. I know what I'm talking about next weekend in general, so I open up that passage, and I just ask all the questions I can think about regarding that passage of Scripture. I just write them down. I don't answer them on Monday. I answer them on Wednesday. They sit in my mind for two days before I get to them, and I just go through questions. So we're going to let you do the same thing. We're going to let you ask questions. So we got a text number. If you want to text your questions, we are not going to trust you with a microphone. But we are going to trust you with a text. So why don't you pull your phone out. If you've ever texted a question to us before, it's the same number we've used in the past. But pull your phone out. Open up the text app. Go ahead. I'm, I'll, I'll wait. Some of you are like, I'm not going to have a question. You might. So you won't be ready unless you have your phone out. So pull your phone out, open up the text app, type in that number, 916-467-9855, and then when a question pops into your head about the life of Jesus, about the teachings of Jesus, about something you've wondered about Jesus all your life, and nobody's ever addressed that question for you, text those questions into us, and we're going to try and answer them. I'm going to get some help on this with me today, so uh, you guys, come on up. This is uh, Rachel Blackburn and Sean Miller. Rachel is stuck. That's all right. Uh, so Rachel is one of our proteges. She's in her third year of her protege ministry among us. She works primarily in our high school ministry and leads our small group program and is doing a fantastic job with our teenagers, leading them to be followers of Jesus. So, so Rachel, welcome, Rachel. Woo! Please. She just pulled her microphone off of her head. So you got you I don't know what I did. pull it back together. That's good. And uh, and this is Sean Miller. <laughs> Sean's getting the backup microphone. There we go. And uh, and you know, you know Sean. Sean's one of our pastors here. He's our pastoral navigator for our team and for what we're doing here at Lakeside. And Sean, a great student of Scripture, great uh, capacity to understand what God is talking about in Scripture. If you were here with us the last three weeks, you probably loved, as I did, his series on Ruth and chaos and how do we live, lean into that and live through that. And so I've asked these two if they would just help us deal with some questions about Uh, Who Jesus is, what his life is like, and whatever else you guys have in mind to ask us about today. So, let's just start with this. Tell us your favorite story of Jesus. Favorite story that happened, favorite story that he told, Some favorite thing about Jesus. Rachel?
1: Okay. Um, So, my favorite story... um of, of Jesus interacting with people I have a lot of favorite stories when it comes to Jesus, but my favorite one of him interacting with someone is when he um, is at the very end of John and he's he's come back he's resurrected and Jesus shows up on the shore while Peter and John and some of the disciples, are fishing. And then all of a sudden, um, he tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat and pray sure And then it fills with fish. And John says to Peter, that's Jesus on the shore. And Peter just jumps out of the boat and just rushes towards Jesus, like swimming as fast as he can. And then after they, Jesus actually makes them breakfast. Um, Pete, or Jesus. That's probably
0: a good breakfast.
1: It probably is a good breakfast. I'm, I'm, thinking, yeah. I'm a breakfast person, so I appreciate the story <laughs> just for that reason alone. Uh, I think Jesus is a breakfast person. I don't know, just personally. That's my opinion. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's dinner time. I'm sorry. Um, and then Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And and if you were to go back and John or you know, you know that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so the fact that Jesus then asks him three times, Do you love me? There's there's no accident, there's just a coincidence there. He's he's offering him forgiveness, and it's so clear. And I just love how much grace that Jesus makes clear to Peter mm-hmm. because it makes it clear to everyone else to me who makes mistakes, who sins, who doesn't follow Jesus perfectly, that he forgives me too, that he wants, you know, to sit down and have breakfast with me, you know, and say, do you love me? And then we're good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
0: Awesome. Awesome. Sean, do you have a favorite story of Jesus? I like the story of
2: Zacchaeus. That's probably one of my all-time favorites. I mean, Jesus hung out with all these crazy characters and was always in a place where he wasn't supposed to be, which makes me go, am I ever in places that I'm not supposed to be? Like, You know, there, there's, a, there's an old bishop who, who used to say um, everywhere Jesus and Paul went, they had um, riots, and everywhere I go, they serve tea. So maybe there's <laughs> something. So, so Jesus caused some problems, but the, the, the grace in that story. So he says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And um, I, just, I just love that. He's seeking us. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. That's yeah. cool.
0: How about favorite teachings? Are there favorite teachings you have of Je- from Jesus' life?
2: yeah I mean the Sermon on the Mount is probably my all time favorite yeah. there in matthew five six and seven and um, and especially the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes talk about this this heart condition, this way of life, but they're also these amazingly powerful uh things that we can implement, and what I mean is like it one of the things that it says is the meek will inherit the earth well. That, that doesn't really make any sense because, you know, you, you figure, you, well, you got to be powerful to get your own way. But Jesus talked about power, and he talked about it a lot, actually. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, he was telling his disciples about power who were trying to steal and kind of get these seats of power in this movement that was going on. And he, and he said, this is not how things are supposed to work. You know how power works with those people out there and how they lord it over, but he says, not so with you. Anybody that wants to be great must become a servant, and he talks about this idea of being a servant, and then he talks about being a slave, and then he talks about the fact that the Son of Man, which was him, it was Jesus, uh, he came, and he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. And so he says, become like a servant. Oh, no, get a little lower. Become like a slave. Oh, no, no, get a little lower. How did he give his life as a ransom for many? on the cross who was the cross for it was for criminals so our lord and savior the king of kings and lord of lords god in a god of the universe dies the death of a criminal and yet that's the most powerful transform transformational thing that's ever happened on the in the history of the the planet yeah. and um and so that's where real power is that's meekness
0: and so i love that teaching yeah it's awesome yeah. Let me change the question for you, Rachel, a little bit, not just your favorite. What's the most convicting thing that Jesus said that you can remember?
1: That's a hard one, the most convicting. Um,
0: Do you have, you guys have those? You have, you have questions? I'm stalling so you can think about it. Do you have questions <laughs> like that in your life, like where it's like, oh, oh, what's the thing that Jesus did that's like really, it kind of punches me right in the chest or something I got I to gotta deal with? Are you phoning a friend? No,
1: I'm. I'm actually using my Bible right now. Oh, good. You. I'll oh, use your Bible. That's <laughs> yeah, good. <Okay>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be good to look up. Sorry, I tell you guys um, when you use your
0: phone in church, I, no one will make fun of you.
1: See, I promise. Not, like not Bible. true. App. <laughs> Being honest, you want to no, check? I, no, I. <laughs> <Okay. please do. laughs> Just in case. Um, so I have to go back as well. Matthew five. So the sermon on the mount has probably been one of the most influential um, parts of scripture for my faith. And just the Beatitudes, I mean, blessed are those who are poor, um, for for they realize their need for him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And it's so convicting that, you know, God doesn't just bless us when things are good. Like, I tend to want to be like, oh, thank you, God. You know, like, things are so great right now, um, but we're actually called to give thanks in all circumstances. And not for the circumstance, but in all circumstances. And so, you know, when things are going bad, we can seek God and know that he's with us just as much as when it's good. I think that's really convicting for me because when things are bad, I kind of want to push him away and be like, I don't know about this right now. It's not working out so well. But those are the times when I have sought God that I've felt him probably the most. Yeah. And known that he, w- he was with me through that trial. Mm, yeah. yeah, what about you, Brad?
0: Most convicting. Hey, I'm asking the questions. No, I not throw it back. So, you know, I think the most convicting thing that I remember Jesus saying is found in Matthew 25. And he's talking about at the end of time when the judgment comes, he's going to separate us like, like a, a, a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. And the thing that causes the separation, the thing that, that makes him say, the, you guys did it great and you guys didn't hit the mark was... How did you treat the least of these? How did you treat the ones in prison? How did you treat the ones who were sick? How did you treat the ones who were naked? How did you treat the ones who were hungry and thirsty? How did you treat them? And that just, that just gets right into my soul. Because I look at my life and I go, I don't, I don't think i probably treat them as well as I want to. I don't treat them as well as Jesus, I think, wants me to. Yeah. So that's a huge one for me. Yeah. All right, let's jump to, uh, let's get your questions. You guys, did somebody ask a question? Do we get any questions back there, you guys? We have editors back in the back that are trying to make them fit on the screen and things like that. So let's see what you got. What is Jesus looking for in us when he tests us? Sean, what is Jesus looking for in us when he (laughs) tests us?
2: Yeah. um, Well, I I struggle with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't, ah, man. I don't know what the, I don't know what it means that Jesus tests us. Okay. Know, I'm not sure if I can wrap my my mind around that. I think um, I think Jesus does put us in situations where we can live out our faith. So if you're a Jesus follower, I think, it, and if that's testing, you know, then 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 yeah, he tests us. I don't think I don't think he does cruel things to us to test us. To see if we're going to like, okay, are you going to follow me today? So I don't think it's that attitude. And I'm sure that that's not how the question's being asked. I do think he allows us to go into situations where maybe we are spending challenging times with people in the margins. uh, Or maybe, um, maybe something does happen and he allows certain things. And in that space of challenge, in that space of pain, in that space of agony at times, we're able to live out. The faith that we have and that looks in a lot of different ways it may it may be you have this sense of amazing peace the peace that surpasses all understanding as Paul talk to, talks about you know it may be that you go to that person and you give sacrificially it may mean a, a, a ton of different things whatever the situation is but I think the point is to live out your faith and then uh, Jesus talks about when we do that, that, that his Father will be glorified. And right after he actually talks about that in the, in the Gospel of John, afterwards he talks about the fact that he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do that. And so he doesn't leave us as orphans. He actually is going to help us and give us his presence. And so um, I don't know
0: if that answered the question. Yeah. But I, when I think about testing, Jesus testing us, I think about our mission. As a church, what's our mission? It's to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And that transformation process is not easy. It's often like sandpaper going across wood trying to polish it out. And so when he tests us, I think transformation is always at the core of that. He's trying to make our character like Jesus' character, and it's just not easy to get to. So it feels like a test. But it's actually a testing like, like gold is tested and it's refined and the, the pure gold uh, comes out of that. Mm. I think that's what right. he's doing. Yeah. Rachel, you want to add to that?
1: Yeah. Um, Jesus said, you know, in this world you will have trouble. I think he knew um, just because of sin and, and how our world is that this life's just not going to be easy for anyone. And so I think when we maybe are considering, oh, I'm being tested right now, it may not be from God, but God can use it. And he may use trials during your life to grow your your perseverance, grow your connection to him, grow your faith, grow how you are able to endure something so that if bigger things happen in the future, you're, you're ready to handle them. He's grown that in you. And of course, you're never doing this alone. You're doing this with God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. yeah.
0: All right, good. Let's see another one, you guys. Why did Jesus come when he did? That's an interesting question.
1: I, I don't honestly don't know if we have an answer. I don't think we have the perspective to be able to answer this question. I think only God can look and see all of time, everything that happens, everything that's going to happen, and knows why that was the exact perfect time. Um, and I know that many people probably in Jesus' day and before, because there was a few hundred year gap between the last prophet and the Old Testament, and when Jesus came, I'm sure they were wondering like, "Where is God? Why is He not speaking? Has He abandoned us? What is going on?" And I think they would have asked this question a lot more than we, than we do.
0: Hmm. You looking up uh, Galatians? I am. Yeah. I'm trying to find this verse in Galatians where it says when four, the 4-4. T- four. Oh, four, four. It's an old one. <laughs> That's where I thought it was. And I didn't That's believe myself. The only my sons, one so I know. Believe. believe so. Paul writes this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the time had fully come, and there are scholars who believe that the the conditions in the world when Jesus arrived were so perfect for Him. For example, the Roman Empire had brought a peace to the whole Mediterranean world. They built a road system across the whole Roman Empire so that the gospel could move. So when Jesus, when Jesus came, he lived in Israel. He didn't go outside of that, but one little trip to the north of Israel, and then he came back. Really stayed within about a 150-mile radius of, of that place his whole life. But when the disciples got sent out of Jerusalem to take the gospel to the world they had roads to travel on they had boats to be able to use so they were ready to be able to take the gospel out to the places where god wanted to go
2: yeah so, i think it's a fantastic answer yeah
0: yeah oh good let's do another one then <laughs> <laughs> how does jesus want us to love people of all gender yeah like our
2: neighbor like. Lo- lo- i mean the one of the, so the most, I didn't answer the most convicting, so it would probably be the good Samaritan, like, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so, so who, who is a Samaritan in your life? So a Samaritan in that context was somebody that um, the Israelites looked down on for various reasons, Um, and reasons that, uh, in fact, two of Jesus's followers, James and John, the same two guys trying to get power, uh, they asked Jesus if if it was okay if they called fire down from heaven to burn up this samaritan village because they wouldn't let them go through the village and jesus thought like, why don't we just go around let's just do that <laughs> so what a, so what a concept who is the samaritan in our day and age and, and i think that there's many many choices but but to answer that question about um love like who is my neighbor jesus said hey your number one thing is love god and the number two is love others and Uh, love your neighbor as yourself it was it was an old testament law that you should love your neighbor as yourself and so some guy said well who's my neighbor and jesus picked this idea of a samaritan yeah and um and so who is it uncomfortable for you to love and then pour your love out on them how do you love them how do you love people that you love what do you do for them you celebrate them, you, you, you sing joy over them, you pray for them, you give them gifts, you invite them out for dinner and coffee, and you invite them over and into your home. How do you treat the people that you love? Nobody would do that to a Samaritan. Nobody would do any of those things to a Samaritan in those days. And so who are the people that you would never have over? Super convicting. Have them over. Have them over. Yeah. Go to them. The Zacchaeus story. Yeah. Go to them, you know. And, and when you do that, people will misunderstand you. They will think that it's, it's like they'll think, oh, you've totally changed, and you believe this, and you believe that, and you'll have to be misunderstood. Jesus was really misunderstood, wasn't he? Yep. And so it's a dangerous game, but it's one, it's one we're called to live out.
0: Yeah, so, we you know. talked. You talked in the whole Ruth series, Sean, about risk-taking we had a wall out there an interactive wall right now about what are you willing to risk for jesus and it's risky to love someone who's different than you because you're because your jesus following friends will misunderstand you yeah. and they'll go what would you, you go off the deep end no i'm just trying to follow jesus command to love my neighbor as myself yeah yeah
1: and you know in in john three seventeen, it says that jesus did not come to judge the world but to save it and in the same sense us as Christians, we're not sent to judge the world. You know, we're not sent to make, you know, say, oh, they shouldn't do that. Or and, and maybe we can know the truth, but we still have to love them. And, and love them like they are no different. And I think that's so important when you encounter people who maybe it's a, like a sin or something where, that you just think is horrible and just remember, they're no different than me. Like, I am sent to love them and, and just keep that your focus. And let God work through that and bring truth to that person and don't feel like you have to be the one right away to bring it to them.
0: Good let me we we put we put the request for questions out on Facebook this week so somebody wrote a question on Facebook that I want to get to. It says this what does an actual relationship with Jesus look like? I feel discouraged because obtaining actual closeness to him seems impossible. I can't seem to connect with him. What should I expect in a relationship with Jesus? What are practical ways of achieving this? Can you guys address that one? Well, I think it's, it's, it's like any
2: friendship, only we don't, we don't see them, right? So in, the, in one way, it's not like any friendship. And yeah. so it takes, it takes work, it takes effort, just like relationships take effort. And so there's, there's rhythms that God gives us. And scripture is one of those rhythms as we interact with the scripture, as we dive in and we try to find ourselves in the stories and see how, see how Jesus is interacting with people and, and what does that mean for us. Prayer is another one. There's these rhythms in life that if we practice them, then we end up, what we call it is the well-crafted life. Mm-hmm. And um, there are certain practices, disciplines sometimes we call them, that, that over the long haul... Um, help us feel closer to Jesus, even emotionally. And and it's not always easy because there's dry seasons where it's like, where, where are you, God? I mean, you, you, might, you might go for years and just kind of feel like I'm not really connecting. And so the one thing that has helped me is to have, like, a trusted person, not even necessarily a small group. I love small groups. They're great, and you can dialogue. But having a person I could go to, and I can just wrestle through things with. And I can just say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling, man. And I'm not feeling this. And will you have some conversation with me? And so, um, and that that discipline or rhythm is, is what we call connection at Lakeside. And so having somebody that you can connect with, I think, will help that out.
1: Hmm. Um, one of the things that I think is the biggest thing that makes me feel like I'm not close to God or we're not connecting is just when I get too busy. And... You know, I have days, you know, like we all do, where you get up super early and you race to work and then you maybe come home and then you have an event that night. And, you know, there's just no space. And so one thing I'm really trying to do every week now is Look for a time, look for space. Maybe it's not every day where I have this big space to like read my Bible or pray, maybe be in silence with God, but maybe it's like a few times a week I can just find, I'm like, oh, I've got half an hour here. You know, I have an hour here that I can, you know, mark on my calendar and take that time. Um, That's one thing is just really, you got to plan for it, especially in our busy culture. Um, And then another thing that really helped me is there's this book um, called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, and it goes through different types of people and how they connect to God. Like one was they connect through nature. Um, Another was maybe you're more contemplative, so you connect more through prayer. And through the book, it doesn't say, like, oh, you have one way you connect with God. But we have multiple ways that we will connect to God. And it might be different in different seasons. Um, so if this is something you're really interested in, Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas is a really good book.
0: Good. Awesome. Give us another one, you guys. In the back. If Jesus were on earth today, would he be a Democrat or Republican? <laughs> Brad? <laughs> Here's what I believe. I believe that both those two major parties in our country stand for some good things. And we're on one side, we don't give the other side credit for standing for any good thing. And if we're on the other side, we don't give this party credit for standing for any good thing. And if you read the Gospels carefully and you read the New Testament carefully, you'll find that there are some things that that the Democratic Party stands for that are good. And there are some things that the Republican Party stands for that are good. And if we get to the space as followers of Jesus where we give grace to the people who are in the other party, who practice and believe some good things, we would have a whole lot more sane life in this world. And the church of Jesus Christ would be a whole lot stronger. That's what I think.
2: Yeah. I think one of the lessons, too, from that question um, is not necessarily would he be a Republican or Democrat, um, but... Um, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. That's, that's snazzy. He'd be independent. He'd be, you know, I wasn't, yeah. <laughs> Is that where
0: you're going? I
2: can't remember what I was going to say. That's it the was, weirdest thing. Give us another <laughs> question. And let's see if Sean. <laughs> press, oh, yes. delete, press delete on
0: that part of the <laughs> video. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read another question. It, if you, it'll, if it'll you think about it, you, you bring come. it back. Why did Jesus use so many parables when speaking to the disciples? Why did they have such a hard time understanding them? Yeah. I think
2: that they were subversive. What do you mean, yeah, that's, it's not a yes or no yeah. question, yeah. actually. No, it's a, gra- yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, no, good, okay. <laughs> yes, it's a good question. Um, I think the stories were subversive, I, and I think that was the point of them, because oftentimes as he was telling a story, um, there were different people in the audience and different backgrounds, and usually he was telling a story about them. And, and some of the stories are actually very, very offensive. And so I think that's one of the reasons he used parables. I think another reason is, as humans, we're designed to love stories. And we're designed to see how stories work. They're such a great teaching mechanism. There's a reason why we dump tons of money into going to movies or reading a great book. And we'll watch a movie that we love over and over and over and over and over again. And, um, and so we, we're designed for story. And so for those two reasons, and maybe there's other, other ones too, but I think, I think that's why he...
0: yeah. He told stories. All right. I think we have time for one more question. You guys have one more for us? Rachel, this is yours. Why do you think Jesus waited until he was 30 to start his ministry? How how old are you?
1: I'm 25.
0: 25. Oh, you're not even there yet. Um, Nope. He was so senior to you.
1: (laughs) He was. Um, I, you know, I don't know culturally. I think this would be a really interesting question to look at. Like, was there something in that culture where that was the case. Because I know that they had, you know, when you studied under a rabbi, like for years, you would just follow them. You would learn from them. You would learn from the way that they lived. Um, But I don't know. The first thing that popped into my head would be, I bet it was because God told him to. I bet he was just obeying. Because, I mean, why would his ministry only have been three years? That doesn't make sense to me. Like, if the Messiah came and it was my plan, I would have wanted him to be doing ministry, I don't know, maybe as soon as he's 18, like, go. Like, do as much as you can, but that's not how God planned it, and again, it might be a timing thing. Maybe there was something going on in the culture where that culture, those people were ready for it right at that time, but I don't know. Do you guys know?
0: His mom kind of kicked him into it, I think. No, no, didn't she? I mean, John John chapter 2... There's a wedding. Jesus and his mom and some of his buddies were at a wedding, and uh, they run out of wine at the wedding, which is horrific, apparently. And so, so his mom comes to Jesus, and, and he, she says to him, Hey, they, they ran out of wine, son. It's embarrassing, you know. And he says, Mother, my time has not yet come. And then what did he do? He went over and changed the water into wine and got started on his ministry. It's, it's his mom. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> all right. Mom knows
1: best. Let's pray. Always, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. No, so here's the deal. We are going to give an offering. If you want to go online, we're going to post all four of these gathering times. We're going to post them up online after this. If you want to hear the other questions that the other gatherings asked and what we said about those, uh, look online at the end of uh, maybe Tuesday. I think they come up and you can check that out, okay? We're going to give an offering in a moment. If you have if you have things you want to give to Houston, you can do that in the offering, or your regular offering to Lakeside, you can do that. Rachel, why don't you pray for us before we give our offerings?
1: Dear God, I thank you so much that you allow us to meet together, that you allow us to discuss questions about who you are, and I thank you, God, for your word, and that you have given us answers for everything that we need to know to follow you. And God, I just pray that if we have more answers, God, that you would help us to find the answers, that you would give us the drive to go out and to search scripture um, for your answer. And God, I just, I pray that you would bless everyone over in Houston right now. I pray that you would be with them through their relief efforts. And God, I pray that you would bless us this week. And may you um, just show us opportunities that we have to live out our faith, and to tell more of who you are to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.